Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the Port Ferdinand Resort in Barbados. My next guest sort of does what I do, but he's been doing it longer, I think. Um, He is actually not only the the station manager of the four radio stations here in Barbados, at least four of the many radio stations here. He also has his own show called Down to Brass Tax, and his name is David Ellis. How are you, sir? Hey, Peter. I am well. Welcome to Barbados. There's a voice. Okay. That's that radio voice I was listening to. Uh, You're you're a Barbadian born and raised. That's correct. Wouldn't have it any other way. I'm sure. Tell me what's changed. What has changed? Yeah, since you were growing up. Oh, Barbados has become even better. I mean, I... I, I mean, let, let's, let's start with it. It's still a relatively small island. Yes. It's not that long, not that wide. Only about 277,000 people live here, so it's, yes. it's not out of control. You're not suffering like Venice from over-tourism. Not yet. Not, well, that's okay. We've we'll <laughs> got to... a long time, a long way to go to get there. Right. So you you spent, I'm not saying you, but, but folks in Barbados have spent a lot of time trying to manage the growth. That's correct. Right? So... When you, when you think of all the different resorts, all the different places, and you look at the map of Barbados, it's quite fascinating because on, on the west side, where we are now, uh, at the, at the uh, Port Ferdinand Resort, you also have places like the Sandy Lane. You've got further down south, the Silver Stand Beach with all the crazy windsurfers. And then you go around to the Atlantic side, which is really rough and, 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 and a whole different environment. So the, 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 the fundamental point here is diversity. You, you, you can get whatever you want in the Barbados tourism product. And that, I think, has been highly attractive for many people over the years. You can go on the south, where you have the middle to lower, and then you can come on the west coast. And then there is the whole ambiance of Barbados, which is the people. I think that remains an essential component of what you get when you come here. Tell me more about that. I think there's a warmth, a well-recognized warmth that Barbadians emit and transmit to people who are visitors to our country. I don't know, but perhaps it is something that we have come to believe is uh, ingrained in the Barbadian psyche. But wherever I go, whenever we come into contact with people who are visiting this country, there is that welcome, that warm welcome. And uh, I think that, that that has a lot to do with the high repeat uh, visitors that come to this country as well. You know, I remember the very first time I came to Barbados... As I got off the plane, and by the way, the airport was a lot smaller then. Uh, it's been I, a long time. It has been a long time. <laughs> uh, but when I first came here, that was the first time. There, there was the steel band right there at the airport. They were playing, right? And um, that was the first time I actually heard a steel band. Great. But the other side of that is that uh, Barbadians are very quick to say, let me entertain you. Let me take you somewhere. Let me show you something. This is our country. And we're not doing it just for the money. We do it out of our hearts. That's how we are, generally speaking. All right, so where do you want to take me? Where do you like to go in Barbados? Boy, I like quiet places. I'm all for quiet. One of my favorite places is a place called Bats Rock. It's a beach. It has a lot of trees and well-shaded. Because, you know, a lot of beaches have no shade. And therefore, you have to get your umbrella and all of that. Down there, uh, not the beach itself, but just close to the beach, you have this cluster of trees. I, I love that place. I, I love um, Coves Bay. I love uh, the East Coast. Those are my favorite places in Barbados. I also love places off the beach. I love Farley Hill. What, uh, what about Farley Hill? Co- what about that? Again, I'm a nature person. 
that's probably what is the, the single element in all of this. I love nature. I love trees. I love water. You know, that, that quiet kind of environment is what I love. Wait, you're on an island. You have both. Yes, I do. And if I want action, then I can go anywhere on the south coast. Um, there are these pockets of activity that, can, that you can take advantage of. One of the things that I found most interesting when you ask what has changed in the market, Thursdays and Friday nights in particular, Saturdays as well, there has been this explosion of street food. Are we talking food, tr food trucks? Food, food trucks, people who just set up their trays. And I think it is an outgrowth of the tourism industry. Many of the people have worked in the tourism industry. They're starting their own stuff now. And they've started their own stuff. And sometimes you really come across some excellent stuff. I, I consider that I, I'm really um, a street food buff more than anything else. And that's not peculiar to when I'm in Barbados. Wherever I go, I like it. Right. Okay. So when we come back, now that you've opened your mouth and put yourself in, in a position to say you're a street food buff, yeah. I'll put you on the spot and ask you where you're going to take me to which truck and what we're going to order there. Okay. Okay? Because that, without that, I'm lost. Okay, Fine. can you do that? Fine, of course. All right, so where are we going? Well, have you ever heard of something called pudding and subs? This is pickled, <laughs> this is pickled pork uh, this on is the one this, hand. This is getting dangerous. And Go then the, you have um, uh, sweet potato, which is um, basically grated and then stewed. This sounds to me like almost a combination yeah. British... Barbadian dish. Well, it wasn't a stew. It was basically um, boiled and, and stuff like that. But the combination of the sweet and the, the, the lime and salt in the pickle, absolutely. I would suggest to you that perhaps if there is a national dish in Barbados, it is this thing called pudding and sauce. Now, there's so many people around Barbados who do it. It's a weekend dish. Uh, but you find that some people do it better than others. So I have two ladies in a place <laughs> called Eagle Hall. Now we're talking. No, th that's the place for me to go. You, I mean, they, they are very, very well patronized because there's a consistency. Some people... You know what? If I'm going to have my pudding and sauce, it better be consistent. Yes. You, you, if you go today and you go tomorrow, it will basically be the same. So those two, that's one place I will send you to. Uh, on the street, at weekend, there's a guy on the main highway on the west coast he apparently used to work in the hotel industry his name is connie he and his wife operate there every thursday friday and saturday hey you gotta go I, I the right the day best. you gotta go I, the right day i really think that the quality of the food that they present so you gotta look for a guy named connie on the highway connie on the, on the highway on the highway okay so here's my idea when i come to barbados and people are gonna laugh at this I don't go to the to the rum factory or the distillery and take a tour. I want to go to a local rum shop because that's where I get involved in conversations with everybody because they're all there for the same thing, to, to have a conversation before they buy the rum. That's correct. Some places you can go and have karaoke as well. I have this little place. Well, after enough rum, I think everybody's doing karaoke. <laughs> I got this, this little place in Spooner's Hill uh, offset from the road. Again, a lot of trees. Uh, but the guys gather there at weekend, especially at weekend. But that is not exclusively a weekend place. Um, rum. Some people like a lot of scotch around here as well. Really? Yes. Are you a rum aficionado? I wouldn't describe myself as that. Um, a, fellow, a friend of mine 
once said he wanted to find out whether I was a rum specialist, as you call it, an aficionado, or just another rum drinker. Uh, but I'm not sure. I drink some, uh, and, and there are some good rums here. Huh? I can recommend um, for good rum. At the top of the line, you will hear people talk about a Guyanese rum called El Dorado, and there is one out of the Dominican Republic. But I recommend that you taste a Barbadian rum called Plantation Reserve, 20-year-old. And um, then we have some other rums coming out of uh, Four Square. There's one called Premise. Premise tastes almost like a scotch. Uh, so it's got a kick to it. It has a kick to it. But the, the other one that I spoke about doesn't have that kind of kick. That's a rum that you, it's an after-dinner drink, you know? It's a sweeter. It's a sweeter drink. But it's worth trying because I think I rate it pretty highly when you compare it with um, the El Dorado out of Guyana and the Ronzacapa out of That's the, the Dominican. The Dominican, yeah. out of the Dominican. I love that bottle. See, I, I like their bottle with the, with, the, with, the, with the rope at the top, yeah. But you got to, you got to see this 20-year-old uh, plantation reserve. And the darker the rum, the better? Well, not necessarily. Uh, I think the, t the, the taste is what matters. So you can have a rum that is dark, but maybe for you it might be too sharp. Uh, you know, the but older it, the, the, it is alleged, basically, that the, the older the rum, the smoother it ought to be. <laughs> smoother it ought to be. It ought to be. <laughs> Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Such great history here. Uh, only about 277,000 people live here. It's it's an island country in the Lesser Antilles, and we've got the Caribbean on one side, the Atlantic on the other. It's not very long. It's 21 miles in length and just about 14 miles wide, uh, and yet... What a great history of the people who've lived here, who settled here. Everybody from the Kalinagos to, to, the, uh, to the Spanish, to the British. British are still around. They still have a governor general running around somewhere. Um, and, of course, even George Washington was here. Uh, hard to believe, but true. I mean, it, it's fun when you think about even the island of St. Croix had Alexander Hamilton. People forget that. Uh, so it is the birthplace of rum, if I hadn't mentioned that already during the show. And... Uh, and a number of UNESCO World Heritage Sites are here. So who better to get on the show than the eminent historian from Barbados? In fact, his family's been here, listen to this, since 1637. And his name is Dr. Carl Watson. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I mean, there, there is so much history here. Most Americans only know it as a resort. Most Brits only know it as a resort. And some, nice, and some very nice resorts like the one we're broadcasting from today. Uh, but the bottom line is, if you look just, you don't have to look very far to find the history, do you? Not at all. I mean, the links between Barbados and the United States of America are absolutely incredible. Just for starters, I don't know how many Americans are aware of the fact that Barbados helped to colonize what is today the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. We were quite instrumental in that. Exactly. How? Ah, no. By the 1660s, sugar had implanted itself on the island. The big planters had amassed all the land available on the island, and younger sons had no land to plant. So they were forced to leave the island, and in the 1660s, we employed 
a certain Captain William Hilton, after whom Hilton Head in North Carolina is named. Uh -huh. And he went exploring and he came back to Barbados to the little town just south of where we are, Swightstown, and said, look, folk, I found a marvelous place up north. All your younger sons that have no, no land to farm in Barbados, they can pack their bags and accompany me. And they, they went and they settled in what is today Wilmington, North Carolina, on the Cape Fear River. That didn't work out, so they went a bit further south. And then down that peninsula between the Ashley and the Cooper, they founded the town that became Charleston. Marvelous town and incredible linkages to our island. And we're very proud of that association. Exactly. And then, of course, let's not forget the British. Well, yes, of course. I mean, my family came primarily from England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland. By choice? They... Yes, by choice. But I'll tell you honestly, I'm mean, getting into the social aspect of it. I don't descend from the grand old planter class of Barbados. My, my folk were more like small planters or indentured servants. But they stayed. They stayed. Initially, of course, they would have had a hard life. But it's a wonderful island. And they stayed because they loved the island. But Barbados, when you think about it, I mean, we talk about history, but it's had a complex history. A very complex history. For such a small island, it has had a remarkably complex history. In the 18th century, in the, in the struggle for world supremacy between France and Britain, this island, because it was the most easterly of the islands, occupied an important logistical position. You know that mantra of real estate, location, location, location? Yeah. Well, Barbados had the ideal location. And the French tried on many an occasion but they never conquered the island. And the other islands, you know, you went to sleep an Englishman and woke up a Frenchman because the <laughs> French had invaded at midnight and had taken over the entire island. And then well, that the, never and then, happened and then, on Barbados. And then the British took it back. And then the British took it back. Yes, exactly. It was a kind of like seesaw, you know. But that never happened on Barbados. And that stability led to, well, you didn't mention George Washington. No, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but we host a theater dinner at the house that the Washingtons rented, and I have the honor to play your first president. <laughs> I become George Washington, and I host a select few, 30, at, to dinner, and I regale them with accounts of, well, I get into the character, of course, but George Washington kept a journal when he was here on the island. How, he, long, was, how long was he here? He was just there for th um, six weeks. His brother, Lawrence, who was ill with tuberculosis, was here for closer to three months. What had happened was Lawrence was dreadfully ill in Virginia and the doctors in Virginia said, look, if you're going to have a, be cured at all, then you need to change climate, you need to, to move somewhere else. And they came to Barbados where they had family. You know, lots of Americans have family associations and the Washingtons were no exception to the rule. Sadly, um, we didn't cure Lawrence. But on the other hand, George got smallpox when he was here. Oh, great. He survived. <laughs> But that was very important. That gave him immunity during the Revolutionary War when many of his soldiers were, were dying or falling ill of smallpox. Just think, one of the what-ifs of history. Suppose George Washington had died when he was here in Barbados. There'd probably never been a United States of America. What, what is today United States of America could very well have been like the Commonwealth of Canada. That association might have continued. So it's just a, a little example of how this tiny island has reached out and well, had an impact. Other than tuberculosis and smallpox, did George Washington have a good time when he was here? 
Ah, that's a question that a lot of people ask at dinner. And and yes, if you if you read his journal, yes, he did have have quite a good time. He had a he had a young girlfriend on the island. Now we're talking, Miss Roberts. And he he for the first time in his life, he went to the theatre here. And then he also went to see fireworks for the first time. And he had a date on that occasion. He took Miss Roberts. But you know, he came here as an eligible bachelor. The, the ladies of Barbados got all their daughters together and hosted a tea party for him. Lined up about 35 of his daughters, hoping that George would fall in love with one of them. That didn't happen. No, he Again. fell in love with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he went back to Virginia and there he married Martha, Martha Custis Park. And so suppose he'd met somebody had really, you know, Cupid, suppose Cupid had struck here on the island and he'd stayed and married somebody. Again, history would have changed. You're, you're right. We talk about Australia as a penal colony. Barbados, in a sense, was where they sent people they didn't want for a while, too. That's very true. In the 17th century, when Cromwell was invading Ireland, over 10,000 Irish were sent as prisoners to the island during the Jacobite uprisings. Many hundred Scotsmen, Highland Scots, were exiled to Barbados, where they were put to labor in the cane fields. But talking about cane fields, that, that then leads me on to a very important topic, because the, the demographic profile of Barbados changed with the introduction of sugar, and then the mass importation of West Africans into the island through the slave trade. And um, this is a hub. Barbados was a hub, and the Royal African Company did have a re-exporting office here, which supplied then the Spanish colonies. Because right, they the, came here for the slaves. Yeah, well, the, the Spanish sort of were like Pontius Pilate. They wash your hands. They said they, they would not take part in the slave trade. They licensed it out through what was known as an asiento. And so the Royal African Company got the asiento from Spain and had two main um, slave exporting entrepôts, one in Jamaica, which targeted Mexico and one in Barbados that targeted what is today. So the Spanish were into it up there next. They just didn't want to admit it. That's very true. That's that's very true. But yes, it's a sad, you know, sugarcane is a bittersweet crop and it has that tragic history of the enslavement of of West Africans and, of course, the the harsh treatment of the Irish and Scots indentured servants as well. But several hundred thousand West Africans, mainly from what would be today Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Gambia, were, were brought through force to Barbados, where they were sold as chattel. And it was largely on the backbone, the, their blood, sweat, and tears that the sugar industry prospered. And by the late 17th century, Barbados was being touted as, and I quote, the richest spot of ground in the world. You can, you can think of Barbados in the 70th century as like Abu Dhabi of today or Singapore along those lines. You but, know? you know, when I think about history, we go back to Wales and, and their fortunes that were made in coal. Or you mentioned, you know, Saudi Arabia and oil. What were the, what were the fortunes here? Well, Barbados' fortune was based on the byproducts of that sweet grass, sugar cane. So sugar, molasses, and rum. Oh, I knew you a were going to get there. I good knew rum, you yeah. were going to get there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, George Washington loved his Barbados rum. He imported cask of it back to Virginia. Nothing better on a cold winter's night than a sip of <laughs> nice old Barbados rum. How many different brands are there now in Barbados? How many different distilleries? There are um, two main ones, and then a much smaller one which produces an excellent rum, 
at St. Nicholas Abbey, which one is one of the early 17th century um, homes, still stand on the island. But the, the top brands are, of course, Monkey Rum right. and Coxpur. And they're, and they're still bottling it today? And they're still bottling today. But the, the, the St. Nicholas Abbey brand is also a wonderful brand as well. And you would know this because? <laughs> well, I learned this all from my uncle. My uncle was an inveterate rum drinker. Now the story is told. Sadly, I, I, will, I will enjoy a nice little rum with coconut water or, or ginger ale, but I'm not a really great rum drinker. I'm, I'm more of a teetotaler. That sounds terribly boring. No, that's, that's why you're still among the living, I think. <laughs> no, um, Barbadians, there are many Barbadians who are centenarians, let me tell you. We probably have one of the worlds, apart from Georgia, Georgia and Azerbaijan, they, sure. um, one of the highest rates of centenarians in the world. So it's all... A, our, our water is very good because good water is essential to making good rum, and our rum is even better. So let's go continuing on from the slave trade. What, was, what were the two or three biggest turning points in the history of this country? As, as I mentioned, the, the introduction of African slaves into Barbados in the 17th century, that, that was a turning point because that changed our culture, our demography, and our, our socioeconomic being. So that was exceedingly important. Then again, of course, the ending of that period of slavery, 1834, the Emancipation Act was proclaimed throughout the British Empire. There was like a hiatus period, a period of about four years, when people were sort of neither free nor enslaved, called the apprenticeship period. Then 1838, full freedom, and of course, the whole legal framework of slavery, slavery ceased to exist and a new society then came into being. But change was gradual and slow. It wasn't revolutionary change. Right. So emancipation would be that. And then the other major thing, something that I've lived through in my lifetime, 1966, um, independence from Britain, which created then a whole new Barbados. The Barbados of my youth was a Barbados that was dependent on the plantation system. It was dependent on agriculture. It was dependent on the export of sugar. Since independence, we've become far more diverse. Tourism has become our major income earner. Huge. It is huge on the island. But then apart from that, we do light industry. We do produce about 25-30% of our oil requirements because we do have oil deposits on the island and natural gas, part of a lovely geological aspect of Barbados, which is theoretically like an extension of South America. And then, of course, you have things like IT, and you know, we've made advances in a number of areas. Um, we were among the first in the world to really introduce um, solar devices to, to warm water. Almost every home in Barbados has a solar heating device. We use the sun, you know, the whole prospect of renewable energy. Sure. And our, our, our new prime minister said that by 2030, she wants Barbados to be completely free of, of um, fossil oil, fuels. Uh, fossil fuel, yeah. exactly, and to, to rely solely on renewable energy. Well, you know, you mentioned topography and oil. People forget how far south Barbados really is. Well, yes, we're only um, almost 12 degrees north of the equator, so we really are a southerly island. Which but you're very close to South America. We're less than 300 miles away from the coast of Venezuela. So we are very, very close. And then just beyond that is Brazil, again, a very important partner 
for us. We do have these partnerships. I, I, I also used to be in our diplomatic service, and I actually served in Venezuela, so I know a little you, bit of you what survived, I'm talking about. You survived Venezuela. <laughs> uh, when I lived in Venezuela, Venezuela was a wonderful place it was, to live. It was. Um, OPEC had, uh, there was a huge oil boom. It was. I was there in the 1970s. Time and to be there. That's when Venezuelans in Miami were known as the Damados Eso people. They, you know, they'll go in the store and say, how much is that? And they'll say, oh, $20, that's so cheap. Give me two or give me 10 of it, you know. And they, <laughs> but, had, they had the buying power, yes, fueled by oil. It's, I, I do still have a sister who lives in Venezuela, and I, I do know how things have changed and we're kind of sad. And while the British still have a governor general here, that's more ceremonial than anything else, right? Well, yeah. Well, let me explain this, because a lot of Americans come into, um, I come into contact with, ask about this. The queen is the ceremonial head of state. When the queen is in Barbados, she's not the queen of England. She is the queen of Barbados. And so legally, she has a representative here who is our governor general. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. My next guest is really thoroughly familiar with the modern history of Barbados, uh, and, 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 and he's been around long enough to be able to tell the stories and make a few up as well along the way in terms of modern folklore. He's also the benefactor of the synagogue here, which most people don't realize there is a synagogue in Barbados, and we can talk about that as well. Sir Paul Altman, how are you, sir? I'm great, thanks. Your history here in the Caribbean in Barbados, how many years? Well, I'm born here. That's, that's a good start. <laughs> I, I, I was lucky. I guess my grandfather came here in 1931 from Poland. Wow. Uh, my father came as a young man, and I am the beneficiary of all of their movements. And you stayed. Well, I, I stayed, and you know, it's interesting that you say that, because I left to go to university in the States. Where'd you go? I went to the University of Miami in Florida, and uh, a lot of my contemporaries who traveled overseas for university, they, they didn't return. They stayed where they went. They went to McGill, they were in Canada, Canada. they were in, uh, in, in all over the states and different universities, but a lot of them remained where they went to school. And you came back home. I came back, and I, I'll tell you, part of that was because I married a girl who was from this area. She was from Trinidad. Well, there's She's, the anchor right there. Uh, of course, and I met her at the university, so what better than that? Uh, she was at the University of Miami when I was there. And you stayed. I am happy to be here. I, I couldn't think of any life that would have been any better than being here. When you think of the development of this country, and like many island nations in the Caribbean, it depends so much on travel and tourism, you've seen all the changes as well. I have seen them, and I, I would like to say that I've been a part of them because, you know, each of us here has a role to play. I was, in, and I remain still actively, very actively involved in development. So, and my development uh, area was linked and is linked to tourism. So we, we were involved in building resort type uh, places, golf resorts, tennis, um, and selling property. So we were helping to make it all happen. And at the same time, trying to manage the growth. Sorry? At the same time, trying to manage the growth. Well, I, I would say that the only way we were trying to manage it is to make more of it happen. <laughs> but there's a danger there. Well... There's a danger in a market when it when that when the market turns around. But we were lucky because 
what was happening as a part of my involvement was at the beginning. We were starting, you know, I was here from the start of tourism. Tourism only started in the early 60s. And um, so that the growth was, was a continuous growth up until, uh, you know, the, the 2008, I would say, almost. We had a few downturns in between, but they were manageable. Yeah. Th those were manageable. And it was the big downturn came after 2008. And when you think about it, you know, people forget. You know, the, the British influence here, you, you still have a governor general running around? Well, we, we do. We, we have a governor general and we, you know, we are proud of that connection. Um, one of the other connections that, that I am involved with, and I'm not sure this is uh, relevant in this um, talk, but I, I chair the university here. So the university and the connections with the university to all of the UK, tourism, UK, um, we get a lot of visitors from the States, but the rail market for property which I'm involved in... Is from the UK. Mainly UK. People forget, you know, just because you're in the Caribbean doesn't necessarily mean that British Airways doesn't have a non-stop flight here. They do. Well, it is more than a non-stop flight. British Airways had two destinations for Concord when that was flying. Uh, one was New that. York and, the other and was one Barbados. was Barbados. And I have often said that what put us on the map was the fact that when you got onto Concord, and I did... And I pulled out the brochure from the seat in front of me, and I looked into it. It said New York, and it said Barbados. And it was three and a half hours, London, Barbados. It got here before it left London because of the time difference. I know. Those are great days. It was absolutely spectacular. You miss it, don't you? I do. I do. I mean, we but know. You know I have a little story for you. It's going to come back, but not in the way you think. Uh, based on a new bill that was just passed by Congress in the United States, mm -hmm. it has a provision there for the allowance of new supersonic flights if they meet certain criteria in terms of flying over overpopulated areas. Sonic boom, yeah. And yeah. if they can manage yeah. that, yeah. they're back in business. Sir Paul, we were just talking about the Concorde. Most people don't realize, not only did the BA fly here on the Concorde, it was one of its two routes, there's a Concorde Museum here in Barbados. There is. We, we were lucky. The, they gave us one. I suppose it was simply because we were that important destination. And it was the ability to come here in less than four hours coming out of London that enticed people to come. And I always said that it wasn't a matter of price because Barbados was catering to those high-end type of visitors. It, they could afford it. Yeah. So the fact that it stopped flying, everyone uses the... the uh, sort of excuse that it stopped flying because it was too expensive. I certainly couldn't, wouldn't subscribe to that. Well, the real history of the Concorde is that when they built them, they only built 14 of them, and nobody bought them. And the unknown story is that the manufacturer, in, in trying to, to get the business excited, literally sold seven of them to British Airways and seven of them to Air France for one dollar each. Okay. And they bought them. Air France operated them, but British Airways basically branded their entire company around the Concorde. It was the Concorde Lounge and the Concorde this and the yes. Concorde that. It was never going to make any money. It was a flying fuel tank, mm -hmm. but it flew the flag for BA. It and did. as long as BA was going to fly it, Air France was going to fly it. Then they had the terrible crash back in July of in 2000 Paris. in Paris, mm -hmm. a story that I covered, um, and its fate at that point was then, was then doomed. But I would love to see supersonic travel come back. The technology is there. It is, and I, I'll tell you, it, it really made a difference to Barbados. One of the things that, that we had here as a signature to demonstrate how important it was, we had four Concords at the same time 
on the apron at our airport here. I don't um, think any other airport had that. Well, th there were there were the Air France was not on a regular uh, flight, but it was a charter. Right. So you had two Air Air France charters, and you had the two British Airways in here, and the 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 government at the time used it as one of their campaign of course. Uh, sort of uh, photographs to, to help get votes, and, and I think they won with that. They said, look, we brought four Concords here. No other country uh, has had that. So it was I mean, well, listen, when they resume service, you better get them back. Well, it won't be called Concord. You know that. I, I don't have a problem with any name. <laughs> I just want to get it back. And, you know, you talk about this being, at that time, an expensive destination. It was. It catered to the elite. Mm -hmm. um, I remember going to the Sandy Lane for the first time and getting an estimate on a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, if you went there now, they will tell you the real price. You wouldn't have to get an estimate. You sure? I don't think it got any cheaper. No, it that. didn't. They, no. they have, they've, they've gotten comfortable with letting you know what the real price is. And it's, 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 it's extraordinary. But, but the people fill the rooms. They do. I mean, it's, it's that particular kind of market that works. Let's talk about the synagogue for a second, because you're the benefactor. Well, I really was uh, responsible with my family for getting it back together. The synagogue dates in its origins to 1654. It's the oldest in the Western Hemisphere. Um, the fact that we were able to, to get it back in order and to get it functioning was simply a matter of timing and luck, I would put it. It was, you know, we, the, the, there's a graveyard attached to it. Um, there are many stories, and I, I'll give you one that, that is so relevant to the United States. Um, we, in Barbados, be, being 1654, the oldest synagogue in the United States is just under 100 years after Barbados, and that is the Turo Synagogue in Newport, Rhode Island, and I've had the pleasure of visiting there on a number of occasions. And the story that they tell at, at Newport is they say, well, the money to build Newport and to build the Turo all came from Barbados. Barbados had the wealth. We had sugar. We had these people that brought sugar to Barbados. That's how come the Jews were here. They were coming out of uh, Recife, which was the Dutch part of Brazil in the north, and they got involved in the sugar industry. And they left there in the early to mid-1600s when the Portuguese came in, uh, Having fled Spain and Portugal during the Inquisition, they ended up in the Dutch area of Brazil. Then the Portuguese came in and they pushed them out. Again, came out again. So they came with the sugar here, and Barbados became the jewel in the crown as a result of sugar. And sugar was what put us on the map. Now, the story they tell at Turo is first of all that the money to build Turo came from Barbados, but they then go on to tell a nice little, uh, little sound bite, as I would put it about them needing a rabbi in the early 1700s <laughs> and writing to Jerusalem and getting a rabbi sent to them, and his name was Carigal. And Carigal comes to Newport. He goes into New York. He befriends the president of Yale University, which is a Christian university, and he convinces him to have a Hebrew slogan uh, or a motto for, for the University of Yale, which it still has until today. But that's part of the story. The real part that is fascinating to me is that Carigal then gets bored with New York, and he gets bored with Turo, and he gets bored with that part of the, the east side of the United States. And where does he go? He moves to Barbados because he, Barbados is deemed to have a much more active and thriving Jewish community than that northern part of the United States. He went where the action was. He went where it was, and he died here, and he's here, his body is here. So that's, we, we have all, the, all of the proof. You've come full circle. I love we it. We are here. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel and playing the radio 
with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. When I first came to Barbados, and that's going back at least 30 years, let me describe the food. Uh, lobster, <laughs> um, ribeye, mm. Potatoes, very British, right? Right. Um, things have changed. I mean, you're seeing Michelin star chefs all over the place, uh, celebrity chefs all over the place. Not just celebrity chefs worldwide, but celebrity chefs who are homegrown and are local, who figured it out from day one. And my next guest knows a little bit about that. He's uh, he first got to start in just a local kitchen. And then worked his way up, and he's now one of the big guys here in Barbados, mm-hmm. Michael Hines, at, at the East Point Grill. Correct, yeah. Uh, I mean, and the menu's got, look, nothing against lobster, mm, but sure. we've, got, we've gotten beyond just lobster, haven't we? Sure, sure. How? Well, um, it really, uh, the story really and truly is that, I mean, with, with all the investment and stuff that's happening in Barbados, it kind of dictates that the, the palate that um, comes in with that requires a skill set that requires training and, and, and a lot of the chefs have uh, been in competition a lot of them have been overseas a lot of them understand what people come here and want yes they want the local stuff but I want it done at a specific level professionally so so they've they've invested in themselves they've had some training and this is the result I mean for example in other resort destinations I've used Hawaii as an example what was on the menu for 100 years was mahi-mahi. If I heard the words <laughs> mahi-mahi again, I was going to throw up. Right. Right? Um, I know you still have lobster, but what I'm saying is, how has the menu changed? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, Barbados is a, an interesting melting pot of various cultures and with their influences. Um, and, and really and truly, a lot of food that we have you know, it comes from, from our influences in, in history, uh, the, Ar- the Caribs and, and the Arawaks, and it comes from the Dutch, and it comes from the English, and it comes from, obviously, the Africans as well. But over time, you know, and, and more recently, there have been many initiatives in Barbados where um, we're pushing Barbados as a culinary destination. And so that was an impetus for many of the chefs to get... To ramp up their act. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So that, that has caused the industry to kind of mushroom and improve and, and that's why you're seeing some interesting uh concepts out there that goes back to my uh, my original days in barbados with kidney pie i'm like what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that yeah. was the british influence yes for sure for sure yeah for sure but these days you can source just about anything we can it, it all flies in if you yeah, want it. from anywhere in the world um what we try to do though is is to take whatever local ingredients we can get and maybe use international techniques that you might have picked up overseas. And, All right, and so give me an idea of a local ingredient that you've really fine-tuned. Well, let's say breadfruit. Very, very, very glutinous. Um, and bland. To me, it's bland. Yeah, yeah. Come well, on, it is. Well, I mean, our, 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 our season is style in the Caribbean is we, we season everything highly. So it's not going to be bland <laughs> when we're finished. On its own, it is. Yeah. Sure. Just like a potato would be. But 
you know, it, it depends on what. All right, so how are you going to season that breadfruit? Well, it depends on what I'm making. Uh, there's a traditional dish, um, a soup actually called a vichyssoise, which is a chilled potato soup with leek and garnish with bacon. It's a very classical thing that it's French, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so I take breadfruit and I make that same very thing, um, and I accentuate it with, with truffles and and and, uh, and 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 the things that you would expect if you were in a French restaurant. And so that now becomes more palatable for for a person that has the palate for that type of thing. Okay, can I ask a really stupid thing? Here it comes. Uh, um, when you you open the door with the leeks, um, <laughs> you know I'm at a French restaurant and they always say the same. Oh, we serve it with baby leeks. Mm. And they say it like this, with the baby leeks. <laughs> Are there any such thing as an adult leek? <laughs> no, I mean, baby leeks just really means it's, it's, it's just sprouted. And, you I know, know, but and you yeah, know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's I mean, not at all. Not no, the adult leeks, you're in a hospice. Okay, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Uh, but how has the local food changed? Well, the local food has, has really just taken on some uh, skill sets which have helped to improve its presentation. Um, like I said, to make it more palatable. But to be honest, the, the flavors that we have and, and the way we eat food hasn't really changed. I mean, it's very still highly, highly seasoned. It's going to be a lot of pepper. It's going to be a lot of lemon. It's going to be a lot of sugar in there as well, depending on what you're doing. But but the presentation... And, and not as much rum as a couple of years ago. Um, in some cases, yeah. Uh-oh, here <laughs> it comes. Okay. I got to ask this question. I do this all the time. What's the one thing you put on your menu that you thought, wait, that you thought everybody's going to love this and it tanked? And then what's the one thing you put on your mind saying, do I really have to put this on? Who's going to order this? And everybody had to have it. Well, not at, not at East Point Grill, but I've had, I tried calf liver, for example. And I thought to myself, okay, let's see how this goes. It's, it's, it's awful, for example, but I mean, let's see how, how, how this goes. And it was actually very popular. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought in Barbados calf's liver would be popular. Okay, so bad that it was good. Yeah, for sure. Okay, fine. and the one that you thought was going to be great in a tank? Uh, something like a, let's say, a tomahawk, a tomahawk steak, which is, you know, really nice, um, exciting, you know. A tomahawk steak is a weapon. Well, uh, sort of. <laughs> you could, I mean, this could be a Columbo episode. The guy was killed by a tomahawk steak. I mean, <laughs> that's huge, right? It is, it is, yeah. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. When I first came to, to Barbados, I actually went and watched the polo game. Uh, it's a tradition here. It goes back many, many years. But I'm honored today because joining us... And I hope he takes this as, as a compliment and, and as a credit. He's the world's oldest active polo player, Sir Charles William Howard, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Proud to be in the Guinness Book of Records. I, I know. And you were knighted. You yes. Were knighted by the Queen back in 2000. Yes. I tried to play polo. I did. Uh, and there, there are two things you have to learn about playing polo. Don't fall off the horse. Uh -huh. That's a good one, right? Yeah. And uh, how do you balance the mallet and ride at the same time, and actually hit the ball. This is not easy. I want you to know that I didn't fall off the horse, but I didn't hit a lot of balls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How long have you been playing polo? Well, I was born on a sugar estate, and my dad was one of the five people that restarted the polo club in 1939. It was shut down during the Depression in the 1920s, 30s, and he was a real horseman, and he started by playing polo. But uh, he, as I said, he was a founder member. He loved it. 
he could ride anything that had four feet and he was very competitive and I loved it from the time I was a child. Uh, his method of transportation on the farm in those days was on a horseback. So, so he, he knew how to ride a horse to begin with. Oh, yeah. He went to school on a donkey. So he knew bareback. So he knew he was a good rider. And I've got to tell you that he didn't fall off. <laughs> okay, don't rub it in. I, I, I'm, I'm terrified of falling off a horse in any case. Mm. But playing polo, it almost is almost inevitable that when you lean over, if you're not watching what you're doing or the horse is going in the wrong direction, you're going to fall off. Mm. Right? You are. Yeah. Uh, you are now 86 years old. Well, I'll be 86 years old in 24 days. <laughs> I'm 85, and on the 24th of November, I'll be 86 years old. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. How has the island changed? Because your family has been here since 1652. Yep, that's right. Oliver Cromwell sent my family here as punishment because they were Protestants and they fought on the royalist side. But... I have to tell you that the punishment was with a gift of land. And he gave him a gift of land, uh, which is in St. Thomas. And his crypt his, is still there. His, uh, there are, what's the things that he put? <coughs> his grave. Not his grave only. Gravestone. His, the gravestone? No, no, no. His. His monument. No. I'm going to get it right. The thing, the thing that you put uh, coffins into to keep. The mausoleum. The mausoleum. No. Okay, I'm striking out. But uh, I got the point. It's still there. Yeah, it is still there and still has his name on it. And the family's still here too. Yeah. And what, what keeps the game of polo alive here in Barbados? Uh, the love of horse. Uh, it's a family, mainly a family thing. Uh, my dad... Volunteered and went to the First War at 16. He was one of the lucky ones to come home with some other Barbadians that were sugarcane planters too. And they got together and restarted the club in 1939. Exactly. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. My next guest was born in Britain, but we forgive her. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's been living in Barbados for the last 20 years, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And she's been dubbed the queen of soca music, which I'm, I'm going to force her to explain. <laughs> her name is Alison Hines. Hello, Alison. Hi, Peter. Hi. Oh, I like the voice. Hi, Peter. Oh, that's good. <laughs> We're starting off on a very good level. Oh, there you go. Yeah. What is soca music? Soca is a very... Um, energetic very happy music it's kind of similar to reggaeton some of it is is kind of at the speed of reggaeton but some of it is also faster and just it's, it's very much dance oriented music and it's uh it's very interactive so we as the performers and artists we get people waving and jumping and singing and doing all kinds of stuff but it's not like junk junk canoe no junk canoe is junk canoe is a little bit different junk canoe is a little bit different right this is further south. Yes, yes, definitely. And how, how old is it? Oh, Lord. 
I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how old Soka is. I mean, it's 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 been around for a little while. Um, hey, look, if you're the queen of Soka, you better know how old it is. It's uh, you know, it's a cousin to Calypso. Okay, so now I'm getting it right. It um. Uh, so it's it's actually it's new in comparison to Calypso. Calypso has been around for a long time, you know, fifties, sixties kind of thing. Were you trained initially singing soca? I wasn't. I actually, as a kid in England, I was in the choir, so I was like, you know, singing. I was I was an alto in the choir, so I was kind of singing, you know, hymns and different things like that. Um, and when I moved to Barbados. Is kind of when I got exposed to soca, reggae, dance hall, like Caribbean music. Um, and even then, um, when I first joined the band that I used to be with, Square One, I was singing R&B, I was singing ballads, I was singing pop, all kinds of stuff. But it's a distinctively bar Barbados music. Yes, yes, yes. It's 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 from Barbados, but it's, all, it's Caribbean, really. Soca is really Caribbean because each island creates um, its own, you know, adds its own flavor. Its own to dialect, it. if you will. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And do the songs ever have a theme? Yeah, the theme is theme is party, theme <laughs> is have a good time, theme is... Can, can, can you say that again? Have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> um, whining in effect, that's, 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 that's Beijing. Yeah. Whining, which is gyrating the waist. Ah, <laughs> so I'm so I'm so upset. This is radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I'll have to show you, Peter. I'll have to show you. I'll have uh, to teach you. Oh yes, and my audience will not be able to see it. They will not no. be able to see anything. Oh my God! I'll end up in orthopedic surgery. So it's, <laughs> it's okay. So give me an example if you can. Can I get you to sing something? Sure. Okay. Tell me what you're going to sing, and 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 then let her rip. I'm going to give you a, a song called "Roll It, Gal." It's a it's actually a female empowerment song, but it's you know it has that energy. When them fly up in your face, gal, make them know them place number one in the race, gal, could never replace independent and your strong gal, and you set the pace, fit and healthy living long, gal. Free yourself, gal, you got class and you got pride. Come together, cause we're stronger, unified. Roll, roll it, gal, roll it, gal, roll. Control it, gal, roll it, gal. Now, you see, there's something beautiful about that, but also contradictory. <laughs> How can you roll it, gal, and control it, gal? Well, you know, that's what we do. That's what we do in Castle. what we do in Barbados. We roll and control. That's dangerous. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little scary. <laughs> but it's exciting, though. It is. It and is. I can't wait for you to teach me all those movements from which I'll have to go to the hospital. Right <laughs> You'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be gentle. All right. But having been here for 20 years, I yes. can't let you off the hook without telling me, where do you like to go to eat? Where do um, you hang out? Uh, I think one of the places that I go is actually a place I discovered recently. It's called Open Kitchen. Um, and the food is kind of like, it's casual dining, uh, but it's healthy, you know, and tastes really, really good. Um, it's in an area called Cane Garden. And, um, yeah, and the reason why I'm asking this is because most of the people who come to the resorts here in Barbados, they never leave the resorts. It's true. It's true. But we have, we have great food, even, even street food. Street food is awesome in Barbados. You know, my rule of thumb for everywhere I go in the world, I'll always eat street food as long as it's cooked. Yep. I'm yep. in. Yep. 
Yeah. So what do you order from the street food guys? Um, fish, grilled fish, fried fish, whichever. Um, rice and peas, some salad. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of that's me. I'm 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 simple, you know. But macaroni. You are pie, not simple. You have. <laughs> <laughs> you have to taste the macaroni pie though. Macaroni pie? Yeah. Okay, I'm in. It's the best. I love it. <laughs> Allison Hines, the Queen of Soca. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcast starting May 8th. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts starting May 1st. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because... Even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.